0: It's Miller time. That's our beer of the week, taking a page out of the Over the Cap podcast. And it's Miller time because the Hornets drafted Brandon Miller and did Summer League. We're both Charlotte Hornets fans. We're from Charlotte. We live in Charlotte. We're here to talk football since this is a Carolina Panthers podcast.
1: That's right. Here at Perfect Takes, I'm your host, Stephen Patton, joined by my co-host, Jacob Acquire. We'll be kicking off with the AFC North to start this podcast. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking. This is a Panthers-themed podcast. Why are we talking about a division that's not even on the schedule? Growing up as an avid Panthers fan, sometimes I would fixate on just what the franchise did and lost sight of what was going on around the league. So like last off season, there were several Panther fans I knew who thought we had a chance with Baker and just with his talent level and where our coaching staff was, that just wasn't reality. So taking a deep dive into the NFL division by division uh, can be a good way to rank each conference and have reasonable expectations uh, for our team. Absolutely. We did
0: this kind of last off season. We went and predicted game by game, tried to come up with the records for each team. But this year we'll do deep dives into each division, kind of look at the makeup of teams, what changed from this year, or last year to this year, look at the coaching staff, the scheme, all of that. And we can try to have our predictions be a bit better
1: uh, when that time comes. Last year's exercise was definitely a huge catalyst for this podcast. Speaking of which, last year, the Ravens brought Mike McDaniel from Michigan to be their defensive coordinator.
0: Yes, uh, he is currently the youngest defensive coordinator in the league, and it started to incorporate the three safety looks that we, into the NFL that we saw him have success, success with in college.
1: The Ravens' front office last offseason added Marcus Williams and Kyle Fuller in free agency, and then drafted Kyle Hamilton to run more unique concepts in the secondary. Believe it or not, this isn't McDonald's first stint with the Ravens. He was a coach with them from 2014 to 2020. Those last three years, he was the linebacking coach. Crazy enough, last year they trade for Roquan Smith, they already had Patrick Queen, and then this past year they drafted Trenton Simpson at Clemson. It just shows that the front office and coaching staff are in sync.
0: Yeah, that's got to be one of of the, if not the most loaded linebacker core in the league right now. And another kind of linebacker, although he's an outside backer, that they're going to get back this year is David Ojabo who played for Mike McDonald at Michigan in the 21-22 season. And he was pretty productive in McDonald's man-match scheme. And he's really similar to Brian Burns, how I thought at FSU, with great bend and good uh, backfield vision. But his main attribute is his speed and his speed moves. I think uh, he's really good with his speed, and it allows him to cause disruption he played across from Aiden Hutchinson. He was able to get more of the, the quick moves around the uh, slower outside or uh, offensive tackles. Where he can improve is in protecting his chest a bit more and developing a bit more power. But in reuniting with Mike McDonald, hopefully he can be as productive or improve in a familiar role this year.
1: I couldn't agree more with that analysis. He's extremely explosive. Ojabo showed glimpses of that in the last couple of games last year after he came back from his injury. So definitely excited to see what they're going to bring to the table in 2023 with that pairing McDonald and Ojabo.
0: I agree. And while McDonald favored the man match scheme that Nick Saban and Kirby Smart kind of developed and perfected, he proved to be more multiple in his defensive schemes in his first season with Baltimore. And during that first year, McDonald's defense was third in points per game at 18.5, despite multiple injuries and the defense having to bail out an offense towards the end of the year, that was kind of dysfunctional without Lamar Jackson. I know a lot of Panthers fans can relate to that because our defense did that basically the whole 2021 season with Sam Darnold. And that defense does have a lot of free agents this year, including two of the four players that had five or more sacks last year those being Justin Houston and Calais Campbell, who left to join the Falcons, and they retain Justin Matabuki and Patrick Queen. I think they really need Odafe Owe and David Ojabo to both contribute heavily this year, as well as whichever older free agent D lineman that they're bound to sign.
1: They definitely lost a lot of key pieces on that interior defensive line. And transitioning now to the offensive side, Greg Roman last year had the Ravens running 11 personnel 12% of the time. Now, in Lamar's MVP season in 2019, they ran 11 personnel at 47%, which is a lot higher, and the reason why it was so low last year was due in part to Lamar's injury and Rashad Bateman's injury. But the transition you saw this past offseason they bring in Georgia's offensive coordinator, Todd Monkin, who had prior NFL experience with the Jags, Bucks, and Browns. Last time we saw him calling plays in 2018 with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he ran eleven personnel 69% of the time. In his 34 years of coaching, 16 of those years, he was a wide receiver coach. And when he comes to Baltimore, who does the Costa immediately sign? They go out, they get Nelson Aguilar, Odell Beckham. They draft Zay flowers in the first round to pair with their homegrown talent in Bateman and Duvernay. And all of a sudden, this offense is looking really, really diverse and very, very talented all across the board.
0: Absolutely. You see the, uh, the wide receiver connection with Munkin there definitely. And among them is Zay Flowers, who is an incredibly explosive athlete and productive ball winner, despite being shorter and smaller overall. His speed and fluidity, combined with his excellent route running, pairs very well with Todd Munkin's real need for explosive explosive plays and desire to stretch the field both vertically and horizontally. And while Rashad Bateman is a pretty good receiver, and we all know that Odell Beckham's a proven pro, I think Flowers is going to be the main explosive play threat with his ability to turn any play into a 20-yard gain or even a touchdown.
1: Absolutely. Zay Flowers is definitely my favorite wide receiver in this draft class. And even though Baltimore has all these position changes, they don't have a lot of change at the offensive line, which is great. They returned four of the five starters from last year. The only guy that's not there from last year is Ben Powers. They drafted his replacement, a sixth round guy out of Oregon. Last year, ESPN had them as the sixth highest in pass block win rate, and they were first in run block win rate. With an elite tight end in Mark Andrews and a promising second year guy in Isaiah Likely, like I alluded to earlier, this is one of the more complete offenses when everyone is healthy.
0: To kind of wrap up the Ravens, it seems the theme with them over the last two seasons is that the Ravens front office has been aware that they need to change and grow the coaching staff and their schemes in order to compete in a really loaded AFC. And I think they've done well on both fronts to adjust the roster to those new coaches and new scheme changes. Like we talked about with Mike McDonald last season, they added a great back-end player in Kyle Hamilton, who I thought was the best player in his draft class, whose ability to play... Really, any position on the backfield or even drop down as a linebacker and be a thumper allows them to do a lot of different things on the back. They also go out and trade for Roquan Smith, one of the best run stopping linebackers in the game, who's also a great athlete and has the ability to make an impact in the pass game, both in coverage and as a pass rusher. And then like we talked about this season, they hire Todd Munkin, who's known for wanting to use every inch of the field as an opportunity to generate plus yardage. They added new offensive weapons in Zay Flowers, who we talked about, Odell Beckham Jr., who is older, but we know what he can do, and Nelson Aguilar, who is kind of a meme, but after his time in Philly has been a pretty consistent known speedster that's been able to stretch the back end. I think we can say that the Ravens front office has a vision of evolution, and they've carried out that vision exceptionally well. The final piece of the puzzle is going to be to see how Lamar Jackson can adapt to and take advantage of the new changes around him.
1: There's definitely no guarantee a Todd Monk and a led offense will be more efficient than a Greg Roman one. This is a team, though, that led the AFC North up until week 12 when Lamar got hurt. If he can stay healthy this year, especially down the stretch, I think they'll take the division and make a push for the Super Bowl. If he gets hurt again people will start to question if he was worth that massive extension. Touching on quarterbacks who got paid, Joe Burrow in Cincinnati is probably due for a contract extension this offseason, and I don't think it's that hard to project. He's represented by CAA Sports and shares the same agent as Ryan Tannehill. Other notable quarterbacks represented by the same agency are Matthew Stafford, Dak Prescott, and Josh Allen. Of those four quarterbacks, Allen's deal would make the most sense to potentially model Burrow's top-of-the-market extension. The Bengals' ownership isn't usually big on spending and could make a long-term commitment that doesn't cripple them in the interim, especially if he was extended this offseason. This would be similar to how Buffalo approached Allen's six-year extension after his third year. Burrow took a similar deal now. It would look probably like a $320 million extension over six years with about $185 to $190 million in guaranteed money.
0: You know one of the big discourses the past couple years around football has been how to adapt around rookie scale qb contracts and how that makes super bowl windows possible well if burrow gets paid that uh surplus goes away and they're gonna have to find a way to work around it and one way that a team will be able to work around a deal like that is drafting possible replacements for upcoming expensive players one of which I believe can be Charlie Jones, the receiver they drafted from Purdue this year. Charlie Jones is someone that I had higher on my board than where he ended up drafted. I think he was extremely productive this past season and was able to dominate a lot of the Big Ten corners that I regarded highly, one of which being his new teammate, DJ Turner. Uh, He's a bit smaller, like most of the receivers in the draft, and had a reported lack of athleticism. But despite that, he was able to route up corners and make a ton of contested catches, especially against Joey Porter Jr., who we know is a more physical corner. I think Jones can play more of the wide receiver four role early that we saw from Trenton Irwin this past season, while having the long-term upside to be a Tyler Boyd replacement, who I believe is getting up there in age and, like most of the receivers on the Bengals, is going to need an extension soon.
1: Zach Taylor, as a McVeigh prodigy, lives in 11 personnel. This means if Boyd regresses, misses time, or games due to injuries, uh, Charlie Jones can play meaningful snaps this season and be a reliable target for Joe Burrow. While we have yet to see them extend any of their homegrown talent, the Bengals have done well to prioritize premium positions over the past several years in the draft, especially in the earlier rounds. So you got to think. They've drafted Burrow, they've drafted Higgins, they've drafted Chase. Uh, they just drafted a Miles Murphy, DJ Turner that we've touched on. They've done right by stocking the cupboard with the correct players with these high draft picks. Stocking
0: the cupboard is just the way I would put it. And Charlie Jones is just one of the players that are that's a part of that cupboard that can be a replacement for some of their current impact players in the near future. Picks last year like Dax Hill can be an eventual Jesse Bates replacement. Cam Taylor-Britt can be a starting corner. He did start a good bit of last season. He could be the Eli Apple replacement. And then this past year, picks like Miles Murphy, he could be the eventual Trey Hendrickson guy. DJ Turner could be insurance for Chidobe Awuzie, who I believe finished last year injured. And he can just be depth in the secondary as well. And Jordan Battle, a safety they drafted this year, can be the long-term Von Bell replacement. All of these guys are good talents that can be homegrown and used as replacements for a front office that has not traditionally been big spenders as as that budget is going to start to shrink with the upcoming Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase extensions. It's going to be interesting to see how Brian Callahan on offense and how Lou Anarumo on defense applies these younger and newer players this season.
1: Absolutely. And to your point, I think the Bengals front office kind of treats the secondary as a weak link system. They've thrown different darts at the board with Dax Hill and uh, DJ Turner. And while they look promising, it there's a lot of concern that they're going to gel right away, right out of the gate. But there really is no question or concern about that defensive front. You have Hendrickson, Reader, Hubbard, just added Murphy, and they're going to be able to get after the quarterback and stop the run. And so I think it comes down to, does Lou Anarumo and Mike Hilton provide enough stabilizing force around those secondary pieces that they aren't going to be exposed and their rookie mistakes aren't going to look so blatant?
0: No question. I think the front seven, uh, Logan Wilson and Jermaine uh, Pratt included, they re-signed Pratt. I think they're going to be consistent as ever, but like you said, that back end is going to be the question on defense. And as a whole with the Bengals, I think the main takeaway when you break them down is the Jill Burrow extension and how a relatively cheaper team in terms of budget keeps their championship window open. Over the last few seasons, I think the Bengals are truly one of the very few teams that I can say have truly competed for a championship. They made it to a Super Bowl two years ago, albeit they lost. And they made it to a conference championship last year in a crowded afc are they going to be able to continue doing so moving forward without the benefit of joe burrow playing extremely well on a rookie qb contract
1: i i mean personally i'm a big fan of how duke tobin has operated with a limited budget in cincinnati they shored up that offensive line with adding orlando brown jr and they've made the financial investments and allocated the draft resources properly over the past few years that I think will lay the foundation for them to keep making deep playoff runs. That being said, they play in a very competitive division and I'm worried that if the Bengals fail to replace key starters in the secondary with some of these draft picks, they'll struggle in a quarterback heavy conference.
0: Yeah, I'm skeptical that they're gonna be able to continue their success. And the main reason is that they had a great free agent signing a few years ago. Where virtually all of their important uh, free agent signees on defense worked out. I mean, it was Trey Hendrickson, it was Von Bell, it was a bunch of guys, and they were all Chidobe Awuzie was Eli Apple was a part of that, and they all played really well and they contributed heavily to that team. But if they can succeed in the draft replacement plan we talked about, maybe they can stay above water. But it's going to be tough, and to transition uh, to a team to a front office really that's attempting to stay under budget with limited resources and keep their championship window open as long as possible the cleveland browns are a team that's financially all in and also has a very small window at the moment
1: by small window we mean one year uh, the browns are currently third in negative effective cap space next offseason they're at about negative $59 million. The only two teams with less wiggle room right now are the Chargers and the Saints. These are the only three teams in the NFL that are over $50 million in negative effective cap space. And the other thing that they all have in common, I want to say all of their head coaches are right now on the hot seat.
0: I agree. And when we get to our take section of the pod, we'll touch on that more later in regards to the Browns. But looking at the Browns roster, I think we've said this for the past few years, but on paper, the Browns roster is one of the better uh, rosters in the league, and I think they got even better on defense. Their front, which struggled for a lot of last season in stopping the run, improved in that area towards the end of the season, but still the front office bolstered it with the additions of Davin Tomlinson, who we marked as our second most important addition to the division. Uh, They got him from the Vikings. They drafted Siaki Ika, who's one of the best nose tackle run stuffers that you'll ever see looking in the draft. They also have Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa and Anthony Walker, who are pretty reliable and stable linebackers. And then just even though they didn't really need to add to their pass rush, like that wasn't the main pressing issue, they bolstered their pass rush by trading for Zedaria Smith, also from the Vikings, and adding Ogbo Okoronkwo from the Texans who uh, is kind of underrated. I think uh, if he played on another team that wasn't the Texans, he would have gotten more shine last year. But we'll see how good he is this year with the Browns. And who knows? They may re-sign Jadeveon Clowney. We know he likes to wait towards the end of training camp to sign. So he
1: might come back as well. He could also come to Carolina, but that's remained to be seen. Miles Garrett and company have the potential to be really special this year. They were 13th last year in pass rush win rate, and they were 11th last year in run-stop win rate. I think this year they're going to be top five in both, and this is going to be a very dominating unit. With the departure of Greedy Williams in free agency, you hope the addition of Jawan Thorn will help solidify the back ends. I think one of the more underappreciated signings this offseason by the Browns was bringing in Jim Schwartz as their defensive coordinator. And I think he's going to have those guys playing fast and aggressive, and that's really going to fit what they're trying to do in Cleveland.
0: Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And then shifting to offense, their skill position wasn't the greatest outside of Amari Cooper and Nick Chubb. I know it's crazy to say, cause Nick Chubb's one of the best running that's, backs. In that's the league. a little
1: disrespectful to Donovan people Jones, but continue right.
0: the, uh, he was what the best receiver in home games and, and, disappeared during away games. I think something like that, but, you gotta
1: show uh, out you gotta show out for the home crowd. I got to show out for the home crowd.
0: That is true, but they did bolster that room a bit. They went and traded for your guy, Elijah Moore from the jets. They drafted Absolute Cedric stud. <laughs> Absolute stud. They drafted Cedric Tillman out of Tennessee. Who's one of the few receivers in this class that has the long-term upside to be a true, uh, ball winner X receiver. Uh, and that you skill think he's position- like a
1: like a Mike Williams like like Walmart edition? Like is that is that what we're seeing yeah. with Cedric Tillman? I think uh, if he
0: can become more consistent, I think he's absolutely a great value, Mike Williams. I mean, he was one of the only receivers, like I said, that was 6'2 or above and was actually productive. So it's going to be interesting to see what he can do as probably one of the, what receiver four five coming into the year for them. Hopefully he'll get some uh, some run early. But that skill the skill position as a whole uh, continues to look impressive with their new additions. They paired David Njoku with Jordan Akins from the Texans at tight end. Uh, they're losing Kareem Hunt. As of now, he, he could resign. But they have Jerome Ford, a guy they drafted last year, who was a top five running back in the class for me last year. And he should be able to replace the Kareem Hunt production pretty easily if they don't bring in anybody
1: else. So what I'm hearing is, is that they're stacked at wide receiver, they're stacked at tight end, they're stacked at running back. The other position group that we haven't touched on on the offense is their O-line, which PFF ranks as the best in the AFC right now, which if you look at their roster, it is one of the better O-lines in the NFL. Their general manager, Andrew Barry, reinforced the line in the draft, selecting two Ohio State products and Dewan Jones and Luke Weipler. All in all, this is a team that doesn't really have – really any holes now that'll that's going to change next year work I alluded earlier the negative effect of cap space according to OTC the Browns will have 10 unrestricted free agents that played at least 30% of snaps last year and this doesn't include the players that are going to have to restructure or cut to become cap compliant for next season after this year they're going to have to make some tough decisions that will probably be paired with a good amount of regression
0: while we saw the other AFC North teams last year have more success while the Browns struggled at the end of the year, they should be a lot more competitive. They've made a lot of moves that signal that they want to compete for a championship. Their quarterback is able to practice with the team this offseason, and so should be in more in sync with the people he's throwing to. And uh, all in all, it looks like they're all in, like we alluded to, but it's going be it's going to be hard. They're in a tough division, and the AFC is as strong as ever.
1: To be all in with this roster, you have to at least make the divisional round. And really, a conference championship appearance is what should be expected, especially when you look at who they have on this roster. Will they accomplish that? I highly doubt it simply because they don't have a top five quarterback, despite having one of the best rosters talent-wise.
0: Yeah, I agree. And so far, we've covered three teams have QBs with big money deals already signed, signed this offseason, or we're looking to see them sign this offseason. The Steelers, however, still have that luxury of the rookie QB contract surplus. Going into year two with Kenny Pickett at the helm, the Steelers seem to have a plan and have done well in sticking to that plan to make their offense a bit easier for Pickett to run.
1: They took Broderick Jones 14th overall. They signed Isaac Sumala, from the Philadelphia Eagles, and completely bolstered the left side of their O-line for the next like three years. This comes a year after they locked in starters at center, right guard and right tackle with Mason Cole, James Daniels, and uh, Chakuma Wuma Okafor, and I just completely butchered his name. Um, But this is a huge, huge progression from what this unit looked like back in 2021. They were starting Okafor at left tackle, Dotson at left guard, Hosner, who's currently a backup with the New York Giants, uh, Trey Turner, who remains unsigned, and Zach Panther. Yep, former Panther. And Zach Banner, who hasn't played since that 2021 season. That star-studded group ranked 31st in pass block win rate and 30th in run block win rate. They, they made huge strides last year, and what they did this year is going to vastly improve that offensive line attack. And we have even talked about the fact that they have Pat Fryermuth and Darnell Washington at tight end. This is going to be a dominant team in the trenches that is going to open up not only the rushing attack, but the passing attack on the back end with play action and bootlegs.
0: I think one of the big things we saw from Darnell Washington last year at Georgia was his ability to dominate as a blocker. So he's absolutely going to be able to contribute in the play-action game and in the run game. But aside from Washington, who was a third-round pick, the Steelers didn't do much to add to the skill positions. They were able to make a savvy trade for Allen Robinson from the Rams, and it cost them only a seventh-round pick for what was essentially a salary dump for the Rams. Uh, it's really going to come down to George Pickens' growth this year. That's going to be essential for the continued improvement of Kenny Pickett. who seemed to be playing a lot cleaner towards the end of the last season. A lot, a lot less turnovers than uh, when he started the year, or started that Jets. Didn't start. He ended up playing in that Jets game where he completed every pass, but he three did. of them were to the Jets. Not one that ball hit the ground. And I believe he rushed for a couple touchdowns that game. Just really anomalous game. But... If we can uh, continue to believe that he'll grow, and if we truly believe that this team is going to be more run-centric, maybe they can afford to wait on adding young talent to the skill positions.
1: Absolutely. And they they did, like you said, they went out, they got George Pickens, they re-signed Deontay Johnson last offseason. They do have some youth. They brought in Najee a couple years ago, but he doesn't seem to be nearly as explosive. A guy that came back from injury after being out almost half the year was TJ Watt. And if you have him for a full year this year with Alex Highsmith on the other side, and some of the pieces they have on that interior, we're talking, they still have Cameron Hayward. They just drafted Keanu Benton. And when you look at all those pieces, all of a sudden you're looking at a defensive line that is going to get after the quarterback and stop the run without having to send any more than four guys.
0: Absolutely. Shout out Alex Highsmith, Charlotte alum legend.
1: He is. Um, He's one of the guys uh, that came out of Charlotte in the past few years. He's entering the final few, uh, the final year of his rookie contract. When he was drafted, he was a third round pick. And last year he had a cap hit a little over a million dollars. But according to over the cap, he provided $16 million in value. If Highsmith was kind of get paid around that sixteen million mark, he'd get a contract similar to Hassan Redick or Chandler Jones. He's currently represented by Wasserman agency. Other guys that are uh, notably signed by the same agency are Max Crosby and Cameron Jordan. I think we'll end up seeing a four year extension uh, that'll put him in the top fifteen at his position.
0: He deserves every penny of it. And the Steelers also have a fellow Charlotte alum, Larry Ogunjobi in the interior of that defensive line as well. So they're, we're uh, well represented in the is AFC he Is North. he
1: with uh, Cincinnati right now, or is no, he- No, I, uh, I believe
0: he's still with Pittsburgh. He was there last year for sure. I mean, uh,
1: just want to make sure on that one before we start putting that out. Yes, he was with Pittsburgh and I think he re-signed. You are correct.
0: Yes. So uh, the Pittsburgh 49ers is what we'll say. But, of course, they have a dominant front. We know that. Even without T.J. Watt, they are still very good. But they also have a new and improved secondary this year. They added Joey Porter Jr. at 32nd overall, which was the first pick of the second round this year. They added Patrick Peterson from the Vikings, who is on the back end of his career, but had a pretty good year for the Vikings last year. Uh, They did, however, lose Terrell Edmonds. I believe he went to Philly. So they're gonna need his he replacement. To, yeah, they're gonna need his replacement to step up, which I think currently is Demonte KZ. Um, they still have Minka Fitzpatrick on the back end, so despite all these changes, I think he's dominant enough to kind of fill in the gaps of uh, all the turnover. And then that linebacker room, they uh, they had Devin Bush and Miles Jack last year. They replaced those with Elandon Roberts from Miami and Cole Holcomb from Washington, and that should be a stable move or even a slight improvement in linebacker play. But overall, I mean, that front is just so good that the amount of turnover on the back end shouldn't really be an issue for the Steelers.
1: Yeah, you just need sound fundamental play. And when you can trust what your front four are doing and drop seven, it really does kind of give the back end a little sigh of relief. And so when we start talking about like if Mike Tomlin can continue his – streak of winning records for a 16th season it's going to start with what's happening in the trenches and they have to dominate both on the offensive side and the defensive side i mean i'm a really big fan of how they've built not, built the offensive line over the past two off seasons and they have two great options at tight end they have two stars or a, t- a budding star in george pickens at wide receiver this is an extremely balanced offense that is giving a lot of options to second year quarterback Kenny Pickett, and it's really just whether or not he can step up to the plate.
0: I agree. I think when it comes to the Steelers, it just comes down to Kenny Pickett's growth. They really addressed what both of our main concerns were uh before the draft this offseason, which were offensive line and corner. It's just it's pick uh Kenny Pickett now. It's all on him.
1: Absolutely. And you hope that uh, the, the leaving of Cam Sutton and Terrell Edmonds and the, the bringing in of a Patrick Peterson, a veteran presence, and a Joey Porter, a very young rising star potentially in this league, that y- you get some better play on that back end. Uh, the biggest additions and subtractions to AFC North teams, we made a list of the top 10 players for both categories. Who was the best addition, you would say, in the AFC North?
0: It was kind of tough, but I went with Orlando Brown Jr. for Cincinnati. The whole story of Joe Burrow's career so far, in aside from his great play and everything, is the, the offensive line. I mean, he took he got injured his first year. I believe he tore a bunch of stuff in his knee. His second year, I think he took either the most or the second most sacks in the league on the way to their Super Bowl run. And last year, they still took a bunch of sacks despite the improved play overall. So I think Orlando Brown is finally going to be a stable left tackle presence for one of the younger QBs in the league. While well, they're if he gets extended this year, they're going to start uh having they're losing that surplus, but it's whatever. They need Orlando Brown.
1: Yeah, no, I think that was a key addition. Uh they have some veterans in the interior of the O-line. The biggest thing I think if you get some injuries in that interior Uh, You're really relying on pretty much practice squad level players, backup role guys, and that's what could get scary. Um, But Joe Burrow got really good last year at getting the ball out quickly, so I don't know if that's going to be as much of a concern moving forward. Second guy that we had on this list was Dalvin Tomlinson. He played with the Minnesota Vikings last year and I think will provide a stable force on the interior offensive line for the Cleveland Browns.
0: Absolutely. They needed somebody there, like we talked about, help improve the run defense, and he and Ika will be the guys to do that.
1: 100%. Now, guy at number three, not really a player, but Todd Monken for the Baltimore Ravens. I think he's going to be a huge needle mover for kind of the progression we see in Lamar's game and the evolution of this uh, offense here in Baltimore. Absolutely. So who's at uh who's at number four for you?
0: Another uh another Browns defensive line player, Zadarius Smith. They traded for him about a month ago. Uh should be an impactful edge rusher opposite Miles Garrett for them.
1: Feel like he's gonna be ferocious coming coming down uh on third downs. So like I feel like I if I was a quarterback, I'd be scared out of my mind to see Miles Garrett and Zadarius Smith.
0: And Dalvin Tomlinson
1: it's it's a lot it's a lot which mm-hmm. if if you have that much coming off the edge that leads us to kind of our fifth guy on the board and it's a guy out of georgia
0: right that's broderick jones if you got all that stuff coming at you twice a year you need a good tackle to kind of get in their way and broderick jones is a monster of a tackle and a great athlete and he should be able to help keep kenny it up right this year
1: At number six, we have Jim Schwartz, the new defensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns. I think it's a huge upgrade. He's going to be a huge needle mover, and he's really going to have this defense playing at a really, really high level.
0: I agree. He's called great defenses in the past, and he just came from Philly, whose defense was pretty good last year.
1: He he hadn't been with Philly since 2020, so he's been out of the league kind of a couple years. Um, but yes, no, his aggressive play style, uh, his, his uncanny nature of the blitz. I love it. And I think it's going to work really, really well in Cleveland.
0: Gotcha. So number seven is another defensive guy, but it's a player and it's a drafted player. Who do you got?
1: Joey Porter out of Penn state. I think this guy embodies what the Steelers want out of their cornerback, uh, his dad, believe it or not, played for the team. So it's it's really a little bit of deja vu, and I think they're really going to like what this kid brings.
0: I agree. The number eight is our guy, our one of our favorites in the draft, Zay Flowers, the receiver out of Boston College, going to join Lamar this year. I Like I said, I think he's going to be the number one explosive play guy for them.
1: I'd, I would not be surprised if he's the offensive rookie of the year at the end of the year. Like, this is a guy where if Lamar Jackson throws for 45, a 5,000 passing yards, you throw over 30 passing touchdowns, Zay Flowers is going to be a huge recipient of that, and I think he's going to look like a superstar from day one. Absolutely. Which- Leads us into another cornerback. So Zay Flowers is sandwiched in between Joey Porter and DJ Turner out of Michigan. This is a guy that you're really high on. He's really fast. And I think he's going to be a huge plus for the back end for the Bengals.
0: Absolutely. I think he could start for the Bengals, but we'll see what happens there.
1: Absolutely. And to wrap it all up, uh, not the sexiest of players. But at number 10, we have an offensive guard Isaac Sumala uh, comes from the Philadelphia Eagles. How, how do you feel about him in Pittsburgh?
0: I love it. I mean, the Eagles O line was probably the best in the league last year. And that's just another guy that's gonna improve that O line, bring some uh, winning mentality. And again, help Kenny Pickett stay up and be able to deliver the ball to his talented receivers and tight ends.
1: Couldn't agree more. Now, we have a couple guys that were kind of outside looking in. Who were who were the guys that you had?
0: Well, we had Odell Beckham. I mean, Odell has been talked about forever. I mean, he, he's as talented as ever. The last we saw of him was with the Rams. And in that Super Bowl, I think he was probably the best receiver until he went down. I know he Cooper Cup was exceptional that year, exceptional in that game. But Odell was tearing it up, like you're saying. So I think uh, even if he isn't uh, 100% of his former self, even if he doesn't make it all 17 games, he's going to be able to provide a lot of uh, knowledge and leadership at that position. And then we also had Ogbo Okoronkwo from the Texans, the pass rusher that's joining Cleveland. I mean, we talked about him being a bit underrated, under the radar. But he's a really skilled player. He has a lot of finesse. And I think he's going to be a good rotation rusher for them this year.
1: I I hope he, he works his way into a starting role and we see Zedaria Smith be that third down guy, because I think that would be a great tandem to switch. I mean, you, you have a guy that can fit the run, get after the quarterback, and then you you bring on like an elite, like stud, uh, who's kind of aging and getting on the back end of his, of his career. And that's just how you kind of rest people as you make a playoff push. And we'll see if that's what they do. But who are the guys that we felt were probably the te- top 10 in in leaving uh the afc north and their respective teams
0: so to kick off our top 10 losses or subtractions i think number one is jesse bates the safety for well now he plays for the falcons he was with he the so with the bengals last year really good on the back end just I mean, if you watch football, you know who Jesse Bates is. He's one of the better safeties in the league. And to lose somebody like that is a pretty impactful loss.
1: And believe it or not, the the guy right after is also a secondary player. He's a cornerback. He he played corner for the Steelers. He necessarily wasn't the, the best cornerback, but his departure on an already thin cornerback has him a little bit higher on this list in terms of like need. And he left to go to the Detroit Lions to kind of help shore up that secondary, which that front office, which we'll get into next week has kind of treated that system as a weak league system, which is, is cool to see. It's very much like what the Bengals are doing in Cincinnati.
0: Yes. And that is Cameron Sutton. Like you said, a little, uh, little under the radar, but he played pretty well for Pittsburgh last year. So he's a big, he's going to have uh he's got big shoes to fill his departure. So hopefully Joey Porter and, Patrick Peterson can step up there, and then number three, we kind of, kind of alluded to this guy uh, maybe joining a team later in the process than other people earlier. I in mean, the pod.
1: I mean, I mean, not to spoil it, but we already have two two guys that have joined the Panthers on this list. But yes, guy at number three is still a free agent.
0: Right, he could be a Panther. We don't know, but yeah, that's Jadavion Clowney. Uh, really good, despite not having the sack production of his past years he's still a really good run defender he's, he's a veteran he knows what to do he can get inside or over offensive tackles and he's going to be a big loss it like uh, Okoronkwo and uh Zedaria Smith are going to have to step up to uh fill the hole that he leaves
1: oh he's he's amazing he played at South Carolina this would almost be a return home for him which would be phenomenal Speaking of Carolina, we brought in Hayden Hurst, who played last year with the Cincinnati Bengals, was actually drafted by the Baltimore Ravens. He's a reliable pass catcher, is going to be a good blocker in the run. I think he's really, really solid, and he's going to be a stable presence for Bryce Young this year.
0: Absolutely. He's what you think of when you think of a tight end. You know, a guy who can run the seam or be a safety net, as well as a good uh, player in the run game. And now looking at our fifth spot, is a guy that he was uh, regarded very highly when he was coming out of the draft. He he had some injuries and a few setbacks, but he had a a pretty good year last year, and that's Greedy Williams, the corner for the Browns.
1: I, I could see him working his way into a starting role, especially if there's an injury to Bradbury Slay. This is a guy with a lot of talent. I was really excited when I saw this signing. And it'll be assigning uh, two picks from here. But the Eagles revamping their secondary, what they did to do that, um, I was actually really impressed by. I think it went almost unnoticed. A lot of people got caught up in the fact that they just love Georgia defensive line, and you didn't really see what they did on the back end, which was really special.
0: Couldn't agree more. And you talked about Hayden Hurst at number four, joining the Panthers. Well, another Bengal joined the Panthers. So at number six, we have Von Bell, the safety, another safety who played for the Bengals last year, leaves them to join another NFC South team.
1: The the theme of this list is secondary pieces. We've seen safety, cornerbacks. This is a guy that I think uh, will allow Evero and Carolina, and we'll get more into this, to run more dime packages with him and Jeremy Chin and not have to rely on necessarily having three linebackers on the field which would be really nice which leads us into another safety on this list kind of who i was alluding to earlier with greedy williams is terrell edmonds with the steelers is now a philadelphia eagle so the eagles this past offseason they they added greedy williams they added terrell edmonds they go out they draft kilo ringo they're they're revamping that secondary and it's it's getting a little scary there. They they seem to know what they're doing with that defense.
0: Absolutely. I mean, what, like I said earlier, when I goofed the Jim Schwartz thing, they had one of the better defenses in the league and Greedy Williams and Terrell Edmond should be able to contribute to that this season. And now our next guy comes from the Ravens. He also joined the Atlanta Falcons this offseason. Calais Campbell. I know he's kind of on the back end of his career, but he was still productive last year. He had five and a half sacks, and what he brings to a very young Atlanta defense is just a uh, veteran leadership and t- teaching them to uh, teaching all the young players to do what they have to do.
1: The the back seven for Atlanta is definitely very young. That defensive line has nobody under, in terms of the starters, nobody under the age of thirty, and that sure. that's a little alarming. What I will say, Calais Campbell, I think he's going to be good situationally. I don't know if he's going to be that third down guy that you need him to be. Which leads us into another veteran who could provide kind of that juice on later downs and when you need a big play. And that's Marcus Peters, a guy that has always racked up a lot of interceptions, was with the Ravens last year still a free agent. We'll see if anybody picks him up. He's one of those guys that I'm sure would just gel with various defensive coordinators across the league based on scheme and need.
0: Absolutely. I could see him ending up back with Baltimore because I feel like they still need uh, one more piece in the corner room. But like you said, consummate pro and uh, could be anywhere. That leads us to number 10, another corner who he's a bit more polarizing than Marcus Peters and that's Eli Apple. Now we've seen him get burnt in playoff games, but we've also seen him do really well in playoff games and really well in general. And, uh, despite the stigma around him, it's going to be a lot going to be a loss to the Bengals because one, it's another secondary piece and two, they're going to need one of those young guys to step up.
1: So, I'm I'm, I'm going to say this. Eli Apple is definitely a stretch. I think he he was reliable. He was a cog. He did his job, which was great. But if Chuck Clark doesn't get injured this offseason, he doesn't make this list. Eli Apple That's was kind of on that fringe honorable mention, which I just brought up Chuck Clark. We also had John Johnson. And you had a great one, kind of like where we had the top 10 additions. We mentioned Todd Monken coming in and adding some juice for the Ravens the Steelers coaching staff kind of took a hit. And who was that guy that they lost?
0: They lost Brian Flores, who was probably the best position coach last year. He was their linebackers coach. Anytime you can get somebody that knowledgeable and talented to join your coaching staff as a position coach is a win. And he departed to be the Minnesota Vikings defensive coordinator. It's gonna be interesting to see what they lost and how they can uh, replace his leadership and knowledge. He's one of the better, better defensive coaches in the league.
1: Absolutely. And I think there was a reason why he went to Pittsburgh after getting fired from Miami is that there was a stable presence with Mike Tomlin. He could have a good year to kind of boost his portfolio. And as we've seen, he's used that to kind of uh, get himself the job he has with the Minnesota Vikings right now. Now, speaking of the division as a whole... The Bengals overall, I think, should be considered division favorites. And this is just simply because of how fragile Ravens players are. Ronnie Stanley hasn't played a, few, a full season in quite some time. Odell Beckham's coming off another knee injury. J.K. Dobbins has obviously had his injury history. And so at that point, it's if the Ravens can actually stay healthy, I don't think it's a, a question they'll win the division. But because of those concerns, I think the Bengals should still be favored. Now, the Steelers and Browns have the potential to push for wild card spots. But a couple of injuries at key positions, both of these teams are going to unravel in a crowded division and a very competitive conference.
0: You make some good points there. I think it is hard to remove the Bengals from the top of the division. But I think it's going to be really close between the Bengals and the Ravens. If we recall last year, I believe it was week 12 when Lamar Jackson got injured, the Ravens were number one in the division at that time. So if Lamar can stay healthy with all the new additions and new scheme changes, I think it's going to be the Ravens. After that, I think the Browns should improve after their QB is able to have a full off season with the team and they have an improved roster. I think they're going to finish third this year and the Steelers will round out the end of the group. However, with how, all, how talented all four of these teams are, uh, the three teams are more talented than the Steelers, I'd say, but you can never count out Mike Tomlin. And like we alluded to earlier, never had a losing season. So with all that said, it wouldn't surprise me to see any order for these teams, but right now I've got it. Bengals, Ravens, Browns, Steelers.
1: It's interesting you say the Steelers are going to be fourth considering one of your perfect takes for this for this division.
0: Yes. Well, I'm just looking at it from a talent perspective, but my first take for this pod is that Kevin Stefanski will be the first coach fired in the NFL this year. I think like we were talking about their window is this year. It's all in. They 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 can't afford to not win this year. And if they start out poor, let's say like 2 and 4, uh 2 and 5, 3 and 5. I think the seat's going to get very hot under Stefanski. And if they don't do something to I don't know, push through the divisional round or at least get to the divisional round, I think that's it for them.
1: Absolutely. I think this will definitely be his last year based on exactly what you were alluding to. It's it's result based. You have to get to a certain threshold based on the financial commitment that this team has made and has as put around you as a coach. Like there are no more excuses. And as we've talked about this division as a whole, I believe that the AFC North is going to send three teams to the postseason. I don't know who those three teams are. I think two of them are going to be the Ravens and Bengals. According to the Vegas Insider, the Ravens' current win total is at about like eight and a half wins. Personally, I'd expect the Ravens to win at least 10 games this year, where the market projects the Bengals to have 11 and a half wins. A guy that goes by the name TA, um, Twitter handles Clefta, stated that if you remove Tom Brady-led Patriots and the Patrick Mahomes-led Chiefs, teams with win totals above 10 and a half go over 38% of the time since 2000. This seems too good to be true in this particular case, especially if you consider Burrow as an elite quarterback. But in a competitive division, I believe the Bengals will underperform. Now, I want to say before we go on, that was not any betting advice. I strongly encourage people to gamble responsibly. I'm simply using numbers from the market to represent how kind of everybody sees these teams from a power rating standpoint compared to how we see these teams.
0: Fair enough. And now we are a Carolina Panthers podcast, so we can't leave without talking about the Panthers a bit. And with this week's division being the AFC North, I feel like we have to talk about the additions to our own squad from the AFC North this offseason, being Hayden Hurst and Von Bell, who were both from the Bengals. I think both of them should be noticeable upgrades to the players that were at their respective spots last season. That would be Ian Thomas and Jeremy Chen. And I think particularly Von Bell will be a, a real force and he was playing very good ball at the end of
1: last season with the addition of von bell and i kind of talked about this earlier but with evero he can deploy two hard hitting safeties with him and chin and like dime packages so you still have your cornerbacks and your safeties that are already there and you're adding more in the sense that they can not only cover but they can hit like safeties and you don't have that liability and coverage that a linebacker would have in a base or nickel package. Now, Hurst, like you were saying, huge upgrade at the tight end position. He's a reliable pass catcher. And if we add a pass rusher like Clowney or Yannick Nagakwe in free agency, I feel like our defensive line is in a really good spot. We have two stars and Brian Burns and Derek Brown, and we have a lot of solid depth. We just signed Shy Tuttle. We drafted YGM and Marno Barno out of Virginia Tech last year, DJ Johnson we just got out of Oregon, I think the question really is the cornerback two spot on the other side of J.C. Horn. Is that something where Dante Jackson can take a step on the second contract or Keith Taylor as a young developing corner? If you you have that side locked down, I think this defense looks really, really solid and could finish as a top 10 unit, believe it or not
0: now on our twitter page we're going to post our predictions as of now of what the 53 will look like we kind of broke it down by how we saw each person like pro bowl talent impact player solid starter rotation player and we did that for the young players as well still on the rookie contracts and if you'll notice we have a ton of rookies here we've got obviously the guys we drafted bryce young jonathan mingo but we also have a lot of UDFAs as well, undrafted rookie free agents, and guys like Bumper Poole at linebacker, Jalen Redman along the defensive line, Rajon Wright at corner, and the reason and Cameron Peoples to the, all the App State people, uh, App State guy, North Carolina connection.
1: He's he's the De- Deontay Foreman replacement, as you said, back in February, even Not before it. the draft.
0: They have very similar games, and we do need a thumper. So it wouldn't uh, surprise me to see Peoples making the roster. Uh,
1: I was I was watching the Panthers blueprint and Cameron Peoples standing next to Miles Sanders. Now Hubbard's not anything the the right home about, but standing amongst our running backs, he was just towering over him, man. I was like, that is that's a man among boys. Like this is this is the the real deal. <laughs> it's like that uh, Derrick Henry
0: Mark Ingram Heisman meme <laughs> where Mark Ingram standing <laughs> next to Derrick Henry and he's like a foot taller.
1: But, it's a hundred percent that. Yeah, it is. It is.
0: Yeah. Uh, but for, in terms of why there's so many rookies, this is a brand new coaching staff, right? So there aren't a lot of, uh, I guess, emotional ties that a former coaching staff would have like the player, the staff that drafted a lot of these guys. And I think there's going to be a lot of turnover, especially along the, uh, the back end of the roster. We brought in quite a, quite a few good undrafted guys. I know our drafted rookie class was only five players there are a a lot of good talented guys that we brought in as undrafted free agents that i could see making the squad
1: absolutely i top to bottom we did a really good job i think filling in holes across the roster it wasn't perfect but when you were picking in the top 10 as a franchise this seems to move the needle to where like you're an average roster and that's what i see we have a great coaching staff we have some good pieces in great places but there's still a few holes, and we're definitely going to have to smooth out some kinks that come with just having that many rookies on your team and that many young guys on your team. We're we're still looking at guys like J.C. Horn and uh, Derek Brown and some of these guys that are very young and still developing as players. So the roster you'll see when we post the images on Twitter and keep a look on that. Derek Brown, he's listed as a three tech. Deshaun Williams, who's bounced around a lot. He played ball at Clemson, uh, is a five tech. And Shai Tuttle, who we talked about as a New Orleans free agent acquisition, he's our nose tackle. What are the distinctions between those positions along the defensive line and why do they matter? So...
0: Defensive tackle or interior defensive line is kind of a blanket term for the guys that play in between the edges shy Tuttle a guy we listed as a nose tackle or a zero tech. That's the guy that lines up over center. He's the space eater right he's there to take up space make interiors have to combo block kind of like uh, like star back in the day when we had star and KK. You also have three techs that line up over the guards outside shoulders who have a bit more direct rushing impact that's what Derek Brown is he was really budding as that last year, I know they kind of played him as the nose out of position out of necessity. But now that we have a true nose tackle he'll be able to be a very impactful three tech. And then we have Tate five- Seth
1: uh, was I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but he was uh doing like a plus minus, like how good the defense was with on and off the field. And Derek Brown was like high up on the list. So where you said he played nose tackle, he played almost anywhere along the line last year. And he, he did what we needed him to, which was awesome.
0: Absolutely. Had a breakout year last year. And uh, go follow Tate Seth of uh, Sumer Sports. Really good uh, follow for football knowledge and analytics in general. And then the last position that we along the defensive tackle position is the five tech and those are the guys that line up over the tackles and are a bit quicker and uh they're more pure pass rushers for the defensive tackles and in a scheme like the new panther scheme which is a 3-4 base you'll see us have three different defensive tackles at any given time hence the three and the 3-4 scheme which can bottle up the offensive line and allow for our edge rushers, which are our stand-up guys now, and Brian Burns, uh, people like Amari Barno. I know Etor Matos is shifting to outside linebacker. Those, it'll allow those guys to have one-on-one looks uh, versus offensive tackles without max protection help.
1: Absolutely. And like you said, it's it's with the range of defensive tackles, we can kind of throw in there and cover different gaps and give different looks like Evero as a as a Fangio prodigy is really going to bud here. And I'm, I'm really, really excited to see that here in Carolina. In the next episode, we're going to go over the NFC North and go in the depth with the Panthers coaching staff. We've already talked about some of these guys, but we really want to do a a good overview, kind of like we've done the roster and the makeup of that and how it's such a huge upgrade to what we had with Matt Rule. As for us, this is a wrap for the first episode of Perfect Takes.